Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Election College, Episode 96. The White House, or Executive Mansion, or Official Residence of the President of the United States. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, we have been talking a lot about elections because, well... This is an election podcast. Yeah, that's kind of relevant, yeah. So where does the person who wins the election live? I guess they just stay in their own home. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, it makes sense. They can probably operate from wherever they are already. They can be like McKinley and just sit on their porch. That's and, true. Oh, go move to Washington. Yeah. Well, maybe they should live in something else, like something central to the country. Well, wait, uh, that wouldn't work either. How about just something over in uh, Virginia? Hey, well... It can't be part of Virginia, and well, it can't be part of Maryland. That's true. So let's set up a district. We've talked about that, the District of Columbia. And let's have a nice house and call it the Executive Mansion. Yeah, I'm all about that. But it's well, white. It is white now. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should go back because the White House or the Executive Mansion that we know now didn't always exist that way, right? Yeah. So as... We all know, of course, our astute election college audience knows for sure. Back in 1789, George Washington gets inaugurated as our first president. And the seat of government was in New York City. And he moved into actually two places. The first place was the Samuel Osgood House. And that was over on Cherry Street. And he also lived in the Alexander Macomb house. And that's where he slept. Yeah. He was, he like needed two houses. He was such an incredible president, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder so, how they picked those houses. I'm sure there's a story that I don't know, but. Yeah, there are some good articles out there as I was researching it that. People really wanted the president to live in their houses. Yeah. And so um, Washington actually had married Martha Custis, right? And Martha Washington had children. Um, president Washington didn't have any kids of his own, but Martha did. And 
uh, two of their grandkids lived with them. That's a little extra information. Yeah, that's just a bonus there. You don't owe us for that one. Yeah. Uh, in 1790, New York is like, hey, we think there should be an official government house for the president to live in, so we're going to build the government house. And then he never lived there. And <laughs> the, the capital, uh, the nation's capital, they were like, all right, well, let's go to Philadelphia in December of 1790. And so they did. And in 1790, the Residence Act said Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is the temporary capital for 10 years. And we're going to work on Federal City during that time, which we all know what Federal City is, right, Jason? Not yet. Oh, sorry. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, though, because here in Philadelphia, uh, the city of Philadelphia rents Robert Morris's city house. And that is where Washington is going to live. So Washington lives in a place on Market Street. Uh, from November 1790 to March 1797. And Washington's like, hey, this place is great. There's going to be some elements from this house that I believe should be part of the federal city's residence. So Washington steps aside, right, mm -hmm. and doesn't pursue a third term. His rotundity becomes the president. John Adams, we all know. And in 1797, in March, he takes up residence. The, uh, the kind of the funny part, Jason, about when Washington lived in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania really wanted the capital to stay in Philadelphia. And so they were like, all right, well, we'll build this mansion a couple blocks away from where you're staying now, George. And then when it's done, you can move into it. And Washington's like, no, I'll just stay here. This is fine. Thanks for building the place for me, but I don't need it. Uh, so President John Adams did occupy that mansion for uh, a few years. And then in November of 1800, he became the first president to occupy the White House. And that house that in Philadelphia that they had built uh, became a hotel for a while. And then eventually they tore it down. Yeah, it's kind of funny how New York and Philadelphia both had these houses that were to be the official residence of the president and the president never occupied it. And I love the name of the Philadelphia place <laughs> house intended for the president. Uh, yeah. And of course, like any good historic house, it was torn down. Right. Hey, so uh, the president's house, it's like a major part of Washington, DC, as we know it now, the new federal city. The architect was actually chosen by a design competition. They got nine different proposals, and our buddy TJ actually submitted a proposal anonymously just to see if he could get it, but he lost. Yeah, so the guy he loses to was named James Hoban, and Hoban was an Irish immigrant who designed the Charleston County Courthouse in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, Washington was on a southern tour back in 1791 he's like hey <laughs> i like that courthouse <laughs> so if you ever go to charleston south carolina that courthouse is not only still there it is still functioning as the charleston county courthouse and if you look at it and ben i have been to charleston so many times and i have never shame on you stopped to look at that house and go Hey, that served as one of the models for the White House. You've let our listeners down. Sorry, guys. Somehow. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure how. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> 
so Washington, he liked the the submission that was initially put in, but he was like, well, it's a little small. It's a little too plain. Um, like, if it's going to be the house of the president, I'm a humble guy and all, but it should be like, wow. And so they actually changed it from three stories to two. They made it a little wider, and, um, you know, then they started building. Yeah, so the building has classical inspiration sources, and this can be found either directly or indirectly in the Roman architect Vitruvius or Andrea Palladio styles. Palladio is an Italian architect from the Renaissance. Yeah. So you'll see a lot of design elements from drawing from that style in in America and around the world. Mm -hmm. When I was in Italy, uh, there was quite a few times where someone would look at a building and say, hey, that looks like the White House because there's a lot of the same kind of design elements in it. Yeah, I'm glad that we kept a lot of that style architecture mm -hmm. in our buildings. Looks cool. Rather than just like plain brick and mortar and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the we mentioned how the construction of the White House started. They started by laying the cornerstone in 1792, and there was like no fanfare, no formal ceremony or anything. Then they built the main residence, which was essentially like the, the cornerstone of the entire place, even though it wasn't the actual cornerstone. And really interesting, African-American laborers, both free and enslaved, as well as some Europeans that they hired and brought over, actually did the majority of the work building the White House. Yeah, it's really interesting because in the last several weeks, I know a lot of us heard about Michelle Obama, the first lady, making some comments about living in a house that was built by slaves. And... No matter how you feel about that, um, the fact is true that there were people who were enslaved who participated in the building of the White House. Now, from what I've understood is that even the slaves were paid a wage for building, but that does not mean that we need to overlook the fact that they were slaves. So how much did the White House cost to build, Jason? Well, it takes eight years to build it, which is like a lot. It's a long time. Yeah. And even back then, it cost over $230,000, which is equivalent to only about $3.2 million today, which, when you think about the nation's capital and the president's White House, it doesn't seem like a lot of money, but, you know, it was a lot of money. And even though it wasn't done by the time John Adams moved in, he was like, I've waited long enough. I might not get another <laughs> chance. The election of 1800 is coming up. I'm probably going to have to... Uh, to get out of here because you know things aren't going so well for me thomas jefferson's kind of creeping up on me um maybe i should just move in so he goes ahead and moves <laughs> in and uh the the actual structure that ended up getting built they ran out of a bunch of different supplies and couldn't afford different things so it ended up being much smaller than the house that was originally designed which we'll see in later years becomes a bit of an issue yeah bummer so the building was originally known as several different things. Uh, people called it the President's Palace, the Presidential Mansion, or the President's House. And the earliest recording of anyone calling it the White House was in 1811. But it was officially called the Executive Mansion until President uh, Theodore Roosevelt established the formal name by having White House dash Washington, engraved on the official stationery in 1901. Now, the current 
wording for the White House with Washington underneath it. I know you've probably seen that whenever you have a press conference or anything like that. Yeah, I get a lot of presidential memos, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course, Mm -hmm. because they all listen to the podcast, right? right? Yep. So (laughs) that was during FDR's administration. So if you're a Roosevelt, basically you get to name the place and arrange the wording. Yeah. Because, I think that's the rule. Because you're Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, the that's it. That's the whole story. The White House went up, and then it stayed there, and it never got burned down or gutted or anything or added onto. This was a good episode. Yeah, this was really nice and short, wasn't it? Okay, <laughs> so, so I was wrong. Maybe it did. <laughs> so in the War of 1812, and this actually happened during 1814, the White House gets set on fire by British troops. And we've talked about this in a couple different episodes. You can feel free to peruse them at your leisure. But uh, basically, the, <laughs> the British troops are like, well, you guys burned down some stuff of ours. We're going to burn down some stuff of yours. Yeah. So while everybody's burning everything down, uh, Dolly Madison and her crew move that famous portrait of Washington. And there's a jewelry box that was actually returned to President Franklin Roosevelt in 1939. The guy said, this was a Canadian guy, he said that his grandfather had taken it from Washington. So that story is not necessarily substantiated, but... It's kind of cool anyway. We'll run with it. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of the stuff that was taken from the White House uh, probably sunk on a British ship when they were running away uh which kind of stinks that all that stuff disappeared and never has been found but anyway that's not what we're talking about here yeah so just so you know um after the war of 1812 but this was actually in 1814 1815 so madison is living in the octagon house which is in washington and also the seven buildings which is actually the name of Uh The place. Yeah. <laughs> and Octagon House, interestingly enough, is still there. Mm-hmm. And it is now a museum. And the seven buildings they tore down earlier in the 1900s. But the facade of a couple of those, uh, they're row houses. Right. The facades are still there. So you can see that. Yeah. We should go do a on-location episode in Washington, D.C. Yeah. If you want us to do an on-location episode, if you think that would be interesting... Well, let us know on Twitter. Yeah, and then you could pay for it. Okay, maybe not. Maybe we'll pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you wanted to. Okay, so the uh, American Civil War rolls around, and the White House is getting a little bit crowded. Everybody wants to be in the White House, and hey, why not? So they actually start talking about, well, maybe we actually abandon the White House. We get rid of it. It's in kind of a bad place, lots of mosquitoes, and we go and design a new White House and go somewhere else. And Congress says, no. And that, that's the end of that discussion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, just a little over a decade later, or under a decade later, actually, the Panic of 1873 led to an economic depression, and that persists. And the Statue of Liberty, they're trying to get money for that. They're trying to finish off the Washington Monument. And things are just not looking any good for any renovations to take place. But good old Chester Arthur, he takes office in 1881. He's like, let's get this place renovated. So as soon as Lucretia Garfield moved out, as we know, Uh Garfield passed away. Arthur's like, 
ah, we need to do something. And he calls no, none other than Louis Tiffany, who you all know as the Tiffany guy, you mm-hmm. know, Tiffany's. Yeah. And they're starting to renovate the place and make it look all nice and pretty. Yeah. And Arthur is like, hey, uh, Lucretia, get out. Uh, hey, we're getting rid of all this nasty, ugly furniture that's in here. All we're going to keep is a picture of John Adams and one of Martin Van Buren, because obviously those are <laughs> actually they were busts. Sorry, not pictures. Uh, we're going to keep those and all the other furniture. Get rid of it. And so they build a um, uh, a lot of different things within the White House. They renovate a lot of different stuff. Arthur actually would walk around every night and take a look at things and make different suggestions, which is kind of cool that the president had like a direct uh, direct relationship with the actual building. And he actually wants to move the residence to the south of the White House. And again, no, the Congress, the Congress is like, we're not doing that. Yeah. So a little while later in 1891, Carolyn Harrison, the first lady, she says, let's do some other things with the White House and um, let's create an art gallery yeah. on the West Wing. And um, so these plans were rejected. (laughs) (laughs) We have a recurring theme if you haven't picked up on it yet. In 1902, Theodore Roosevelt hired some people to carry out some different expansions and renovations. And he pretty much decided, hey, all this stuff from, from Tiffany, we're getting rid of that. Anything that was added during the Victorian period, that's gaudy. I hate it. And uh, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and make this suited to me, Mr. Theodore Roosevelt. So they actually took out a staircase in the West Hall. They moved some staffing around. They took things from the second floor into the new West Wing, which this is around the time the West Wing gets built. And things are starting to look a little more like you're used to seeing them now. Yeah. And by the time William Howard Taft comes into office, he gets some help to create some additional space in the West Wing. And that includes the addition of the Oval Office. So the Oval Office really isn't that old. Right. Yeah, the West Wing actually got damaged in a fire in 1929, but then they rebuilt it, and Herbert Hoover oversaw some of that. And then in the 1930s, they put on a second story on the West Wing. And then, of course, they start going down. They start building basements for the staff, and... um, well, the basements never really stopped getting built from this point forward, I think. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of interesting because if you start building basements or digging basements, do you build a basement? I think you can call it either one. Okay. Yeah. You dig a basement. Yeah. You put some things up in the attic. You have some loose soil, and that's not good. Yeah. Things start to shift a little bit. Yeah. So by 1948, the house was declared to be in imminent danger of collapse. And President Truman is like, oh no, the chandeliers are shaking. <laughs> the creaks in the hallways, you know, people are feeling, some people are feeling nostalgic. Can I say wax nostalgic? Sure. People start waxing nostalgic yeah, about, yeah, that works. you know, Lincoln felt those creaks and yeah. heard those creaks <laughs> and everything. And Truman's like, yeah, I can hear the ghosts of all right. of these people from the past. So what do we do? Do we gut the place? Do we tear it down? Do we... I don't know. What do we do with this building? Well, we should definitely keep the exterior. That's for sure. Yeah. 
but we can't we can't get rid of that. But the whole interior, like, it's not good. We just need to get rid of it. Yeah. So by the time 1949 rolls around, the Trumans are like, okay, we're going to move out and we're going to get the place. And the renovation cost is $5.7 million, or in today's money, $52 million. Yeah, so they made a few modifications to the floor plan. They moved the grand staircase. They put in central air conditioning. They put in two additional sub-basements and put in some workrooms, some storage, a bomb shelter, probably uh, tunnels leading here and there and yon, and um, probably like a bunch of different rooms too that they don't publicize because that would be a security threat. Uh, but the Trumans moved back into the White House in 1952, so they were only out for a few years, but most of Truman's term, of course. And they pretty much were like, okay, so remember what it used to look like in here? It's not going to look like that anymore, and we don't really care about history, and we're just going to decorate it how we think it looks nice. Yeah, we did. Yeah, because it's the 1950s, and we're looking for usefulness. Right. We're not necessarily looking for the historic preservation and, well, that's just horrible, right? Well, they didn't throw away everything historical. They took some of the original timber frame. Uh, they turned it into paneling and put it in a few of the different rooms. And a lot of the decorations and wood that you'll see in the White House were actually wood from the original frame. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And they were even sold stuff. Yeah. You could buy, like, a nail from the White House. Really? Yeah. Still? Well, I don't think anymore. Maybe oh. go on eBay. Yeah. But how do you trust that? I don't know. I Maybe just... they had a holo- hologram. <laughs> Holograms? <laughs> you know how... So I was... The All-Star game was in Cincinnati last year. Mm-hmm. And you don't just go up to people and get their autograph anymore. Right. No. You have the Hall of Famer and you have a person with a computer sitting next to the Hall of Famer and sitting next to the person who is... Next to the Hall of Famer with the computer is a person that has a hologram. <laughs> yeah. And they don't just sign your baseball or bat or whatever. They actually authenticate it. What? Yeah. Weird. It's very inconvenient. I bet. And who cares? <laughs> right. Well, then the, we'll do that for the nails from the eBay. Yeah. So we could have special edition election <laughs> college nails from the White House. Hey, we could get... I think if we were to go right now, we could probably figure out how to get some nails out of there but then we might get arrested so yeah yeah hey so uh jackie o <laughs> she comes in you know the kennedy is very fashionable very used to a different type of life than most of the presidents before them and she's like hey uh we're gonna redecorate this place we're gonna go through and make everything more historic like it used to be but also upscale and Jackie Kennedy really makes it like a big deal. And this is when the nation is really starting to pay a lot of attention to the White House because of television. Yeah. So she even put together a guidebook uh, under the direction of the um, curator, Laureen Waxman Pierce. And she was directly supervised by Mrs. Kennedy. And sale of this guidebook the White House guidebook helped pay for the restoration. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So pretty much after the Kennedy restoration, uh, 
people decided, okay, well, we need to start making this like a historic building. It's been around a while. A lot of really fascinating people and fascinating conversations have happened here. So we should really start to keep it about the same. But that doesn't stop different people from moving in to making some sort of changes to the to the private quarters of the White House where the where the family of the president actually lives. Yeah, you can't just go in and become president and say, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to paint the White House green. But you can, with the permission <laughs> of the White House curator and the chief usher, work together and make portions of the the residents more your own. And I think a lot of us have seen that, which is really cool, and we'll probably see it again uh, with the inauguration of a new president next year, where they go in while the president is being sworn in, and they will put new carpet in the Oval Office, mm -hmm. and you get to choose from several different desks and and all that. So it it needs to be approved. It takes an act of Congress, but <laughs> yeah, but you can you can right. personalize the White House. Okay, so the White House is pretty much open from the start into the early part of the 20th century. And Thomas Jefferson actually holds an open house when he gets inaugurated in 1805 for the second time. And pretty much he gets sworn in and everybody's like, all right, I guess we're going over to the White House for a little bit. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I wonder if they had like pigs in a blanket and yeah. <laughs> barbecue and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd say so. Which that might have been the case in 1829. We talked about this way back when, when Andy Jack, uh, Andrew Jackson, he <laughs> pretty much turned the White House into a big old party, <laughs> and 20,000 citizens celebrated the inauguration inside the White House. Yeah, he actually has to leave and go to a hotel because it's so packed in, and all the aides at the White House to get everybody out, I have to lure them out with giant wash tubs, <laughs> and they fill them with a uh, a cocktail of orange juice and whiskey, and <laughs> to get them to come out of the White House. That's that's just funny, right there. Yeah, and you would think that okay, oh man, we can't do this again. The practice continues until yeah. 1885, and Grover Cleveland is like, I want to review the troops in front of the White House instead of doing the traditional party scene and um, the practice ended. Yeah, they stopped doing that in the 30s. Uh, and then Bill Clinton actually one day did an open house on the New Year's Day during his first term. But I think that also got a little larger than they wanted it to get, so they quit doing that again. Uh, there are a lot of different ways that you can get into the White House, of course. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was was one of the first presidents to complain that he couldn't get rid of people. They just wanted jobs, and they'd come and ask him all the time, and he couldn't get any work done. But for the most part, uh, you can still get into the White House and do tours, and there uh, there have been different times in history when they've been shut down and opened. And during the sequestration a couple years ago, uh, you couldn't take a tour of the White House. But as of November 13, they're doing tours and stuff again. Yeah, so... If you've been to Washington recently, well, within the last 10, 15 years, you'll notice that the Pennsylvania Avenue is closed in front of the White House, but you can still walk there. And of course, there have been crazy people who have tried to jump the fence and get through. And 
um, land their airplanes there and, and things like that. But there are all kinds of uh, air restrictions over the executive house now, so don't do it. All right, so Jason and I do want to do some on-location stuff, and I mentioned earlier I was joking around about you funding our trip to Washington, D.C., but we are hoping to go and do some, uh, hey, we're going to go see this historical thing, and we'll maybe record a little clip about it or something. Uh, so if you want to help with those kind of things, you can visit our Amazon link by going to electioncollege.com slash Amazon and just shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we'll see a little bit of that, and we'll be able to go see like somebody's grave and take a picture or something which I'm sure is exactly where you want your money to go. And we really enjoy hearing from you on Twitter, Facebook, and even Instagram. We've actually been inspired to do some of these episodes since our chronological series ended. Go ahead, give us some ideas. We'd love to talk about topics that you want to hear about. All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.